morning. How we all doing? Good. How many Bengal fans do I have in the room? Do I have any Bengal fans? Who day? All right. Some of you see some orange and black. Do I have any Rams fans? Nobody. I figure like some of you Browns fans, like you're just jealous, right? And so you're, is that too, too hurt too much, you Browns fans? Jay's shaking his head. Yeah, uh, it is Super Bowl. How many are just like rooting for the commercials? Like you don't even care about the game. Halftime show, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a varying degree of excitement for this uh, Super Bowl, ranging from super excited to Wait, what is the Super Bowl? Um, but anyway, uh, it is the Super Bowl. And so uh, I thought, you know, Super Bowl is known for the commercials. I thought I'd play you just uh, some of my favorite commercials that I've been watching lately. And uh, I'm going to use it as an intro to the sermon. So let's go ahead and watch these commercials here. Hey everyone, we made it. My job is to help new homeowners who have turned into their parents. I'm having a big lunch and then just a snack for so dinner. we're using a speakerphone in this store. Is that a good idea? One of the ways I do that is to get them out of the home. You're looking for a grout brush. This Garth, is the... did he ask for your help? No. 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 We all see it. We all see it. He has blue hair. Okay. Blue. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto when you bundle with us. Keep it coming. You don't know. We're at the movies and we need to silence our phone. Who knows where that button is? I don't have silent. Everyone that's right up here. It happens to all of us. We buy a new home and we turn into our parents. What I do? is help new homeowners overcome this. Was that an adjustable spanner? Good choice, Steve. Okay, don't forget, you're not assisting him. You hired him. You have nowhere to sit. You have too many. Who else reads books about submarines? My dad. Yeah. Oh, those are... Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto when you bundle with us. Look at that. Everyone, we made it. All right, it's on loop Yeah, so these, these commercials are kind of hitting home for me, uh, somebody who's in their mid-30s, because I'm realizing um, in some ways I'm becoming like my parents, right? I'm saying things that I thought I'd never say, like, uh, because I told you so, right? There's, there's these things that I realize. I have to be careful. My parents are in the room here. Um, but even my wife would just be like, oh my gosh, you act just like your mom, you know? And certain things that make me go, oh my gosh. Um, but have you ever thought just about how you became you. Like, not how you were conceived, that would be weird, but like how you became you and all the different things that have made you, you. And it could be from uh, just your family, your, your, what you grew up in, your parents, your siblings. It could be the people in our life, both positive and negative. We've all had experiences in our life, probably great experiences. You've had uh, foundational, formational experiences, yet we've also had those experiences that have been negative, right? That have formed and shaped us and has shaped how we view the world and that sort of thing. You can think about just the cultural, cultural forces that have formed and shaped us. And, and so I, I just want you to begin to just begin think like how you became you. Uh, there's things that you had literally zero control over, right? You had zero control over your parents, right? And who became your parents. You had zero control over even uh, where you were born, uh, just both generationally, whatever that is, um, where, like the age in which you were born, you had zero control. You had zero control even, uh, even what your parents or your family, even the lifestyle, whether that's socioeconomically, you know, the jobs, the occupations, whether that came from low income, middle class, or even wealthy, you had zero control over that. You had zero control over your DNA. 
right? Whether you had two X chromosomes or an XY chromosome, and that dictates a lot. You didn't, get, you didn't get to pick your hair or that sort of thing. There's all these things that have formed and shaped us that we had zero control. And then there has been things that we have had control over, choices we've made, right? Uh, our, if you're married, you chose your spouse, right? You picked them, uh, and that's been, uh, that's helped form and shape you. There's been decisions you've made, your occupation, your education, what, the house you lived in, the books you've read, the media you've consumed, uh, your friends, your hobbies, all these things. There's aspects of our life um, that we've chosen. Again, it's this mixture of DNA and choices we made and things that have written. This is, this is, this is you. And, and every person, the more and more I do this and, and talk to people and even hear people's stories, right? Every person has a unique story. No two stories are the same. We're all unique. We're all shaped in unique ways. And, and the question we're going to talk about today, and I've kind of mentioned it even before, is this, this formation of ourself. This is, this is a human thing. You know, we are all being formed every minute of every day right? Even this church service, it's a formational experience. It's, and the reality is we are all becoming someone. It's either intentional or unintentional. It's conscious or subconscious. It's deliberate or haphazard. Haphazard. We're all in a process of becoming a person. And, then, and even how I introduced this series, it's not so much that I talked about discipleship, but it's this, I, this, this question isn't are you becoming someone, but it's who you are becoming. And this is what I'm going to argue today is the most important thing about you. No matter what you do in your life, no matter what accomplishments or role you play uh, as a husband or wife, as a parent or as, as a worker, but the most important thing about you is who you are becoming, right? And, and so we're going to talk through that, and, and if you decide to follow Jesus, I'm sure as you realize there are some things that about you that don't necessarily align with the way of Jesus, right? Have you ever, do you guys recognize that? Are you aware that there are things about you that are not perfect? And maybe this is news to you. You're not perfect, right? I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. There's all these things as we've, as we've discovered, I'm sure we're all aware of just certain areas of our life um, that just, just rub the wrong way with, with the way of Jesus. And, and the question is then, how do we, once we become aware of those things, uh, what do we do with that? You know, uh, and I think there's a couple different ways we can approach this, and I've shared some of this ways before. Like in one hand, culturally, it's just this uh, idea, this, this, this uh, I think this belief that the way to do that is just to accept who you are, right? To just love who you are, just embrace your imperfection, and that's just the way forward, just to love yourself, on the, on the other hand, uh, even, we can even do some damage uh, uh, even on the Christian perspective because it's, it's all about just trying harder, right? It all becomes about behavior modification or what uh, Dallas Willard would call just the gospel of sin, sin management. It's just about trying to do all the external things, all the right behaviors, avoidance of all the wrong behaviors. And unfortunately, if you ask a lot of non-Christians, people who don't believe in Jesus, they would, if you ask them, like, what is the message of Jesus, right? In some form, most of them would just say it's all about doing rules and regulations, it's all about becoming good enough, about becoming good enough to be acceptable by God. 
And I don't know about you, but that can be just an exhausting experience because it never feels like it's enough, right? Uh, if, you've, if, if you've grown up with that kind of mindset and um, it, it's just like you just try to do all the right things, avoid all the wrong things, and eventually God will be like, he'll notice you, he'll accept you, he'll love you, and one day he'll say, okay, good job, Johnny, uh, you can come into heaven. But if you don't, if you, if you don't feel like you measure up or you don't do all the wrong things or you keep messing up, you feel stuck, you, you'll feel like God will be disappointed in you, he'll, he'll abandon you, and, and then you'll, you'll spend eternity in hell, right? And we can come with these mindsets, but the reality is the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is more than just accept who you are. Uh, it's more than just trying to do all the right behaviors. Jesus actually says, I have good news that the kingdom is here. It's available. There's another way of, to be able to transform us where we don't have to be stuck in our ways. We don't have to be discouraged uh, of just trying to do all the right things that he actually has another way. And we call this what we're going to talk about in our discipleship framework, this vision of what we want to move people towards is this idea of transformation, our inner transformation. Transformation of our life, our character, is part of the redemptive message of the gospel, that we can actually be changed and transformed. This is what we're putting our hope in. I I love this quote from Richard Rohr. He says this, I think it's on the screen. Most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. In fact, God loves you so that you can change. What empowers change, what makes you desirous of change, is the experience of love. Right? And this is at the heart of the gospel. The new, good news of Jesus is this idea that Jesus loved us and that, and that it has nothing to do with our behavior or what we've done. And so what I'm going to talk about this first. I'm going to start off with, with kingdom transformation. When, we, when Amber subbed in for me, you know, we just talked about this framework is all framed in, in kingdom theology. This idea, it's not life, it's just not about uh, just trying to get into heaven, but that it's actually more about heaven breaking into earth, uh, into our lives and into us personally. And so there's this promise of this kingdom inner transformation that's happened, that's, that was prophesied by this prophet Ezekiel. And I'm going to read this. Uh, it comes out of Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can flip to it real quick, but it's on the screen there. Uh, of this promise of this type of inner transformation from the kingdom. It says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. What Ezekiel is saying is that he's prophesying, and uh, I love, uh, this is God speaking, right? Because this I will promises of God. If you read Isaiah, or if you read Ezekiel, you read these prophecies of these co- this coming kingdom, it's, it's God initiated saying, I will do these things. I will, I will, I will. And even, even uh, in Genesis 3, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, it's God saying, I will, I will make it right because it's not something we can do on our own uh, doing and our own capacity. Uh, it's it's going to be a, need a work of God. 
And so Jesus comes as a fulfillment to this promise, this, this kingdom of this, this transformation of a new heart and a new spirit. That's what the, the Jews believe would be the ushering of this new kingdom. Um, Jesus comes and fulfills that. In 1 John uh, 1 said, it says, it's by the blood of Jesus, uh, his son, that cleanses us from all sin. And then life with God, I talked about this in John 14, Jesus promised, right, the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be with you, but it will be in you. So Jesus comes, this message of Jesus comes as his fulfillment of this promise of kingdom transformation in our life. And so I'm going to put this on the screen here. The first part of transformation or inner transformation comes from this work of the Spirit within us. And I've outlined it in this way. It's this inside-out transformation, that it's not going to come from doing external things. It's, it's going to come from the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so that's why you see this integration, right? This life with God, life with others, and inner transformation, that, that we need a life with God to experience this inner transformation, right? And we need others to experience this, this inner transformation. This, this can't be done solo. This can't be done on our own. And, and I think there's this message, I googled inner transformation, because you just google things, right? Just random things. And uh, I saw this inner transformation. Uh, the first thing I pulled up were essential oils and yoga. Like, right? This, this promise of inner transformation. I, I never, my wife loves essential oils. I have never seen an inner transformation blend, right? Um, I, I'm, I just, I've never seen this, right? That, that somehow there's this message we can experience inner transformation on our own or with a product, right? Or something that we can just, if we just take this thing or do these three things, we can experience inner transformation. But the gospel, the story of, of, of this is we can't be transformed. We can't have inner transformation without God and without others. And I don't have time to really dive into both of these. We're going to kind of stick with this, this intersection of inner transformation life with God. With this idea of life with others, what I mentioned last week, right? Like healing happens in community. We need others as part of it. But what we're going to really talk through is, is dive into this intersection of inner transformation and life with God. The spirit at work within us. In 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, it says this. But whenever a person turns to the Lord... The veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. I love even Eugene's um, paraphrase at the end, it says, we, we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. See, this is the whole point of inner transformation. I'm going to kind of summarize it as this. This is kind of be the one point today is inner transformation is the lifelong process of becoming like Jesus by the work of the Spirit within us. Uh, it's, it's this ongoing pursuit. It's a process. Again, this is, this is ongoing. As we follow Jesus, right, there's always going to be areas of our life that needs transformed. It's good news and bad news, right? The bad news is there's always, until Jesus comes back, there's always going to be areas that will need to be transformed like Jesus. But the good news is, like, it's like we get to do this our whole life right? We get to just, we get to do this with the Holy Spirit, that we are transformed. It will not happen in an instant. 
there will never be a point where we'll just arrive, right? Where we'll just arrive. If you look, I just take just encouragement, just looking at the life of Peter and just all the failures that Peter had, all the things. He had these high moments where he's able just to say, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, and he has these moments where he's called Satan (laughs) and he denies Jesus, yet Jesus keeps moving towards him, right? He never, he never abandoned him or that sort of thing. So just look at the life of Peter. We are always being transformed to becoming like Jesus or being formed into the image of Christ. Uh, Galatians 4, 19 says, Paul talks about this, until Christ is formed in you. This is who we are, to, who, this is who we want to become. It's, this is, as followers of Jesus, it's this, when we answer this question of who are we becoming, we want to say, we want to become like Jesus. It's the, the conformity to his image, to believe as Jesus believed, to live as he lived, to love as he loved, to minister as he ministered, and lead as he lead, led. I love this framework, and just to think through this, that being formed into the image of Jesus or becoming like Jesus and some of its simplest form is just forming us into people who have a greater capacity of receiving and giving love, right? That Jesus, how he embodied this is he continually received the love of God, the love of the Father, right? And then from that place, he was able to give love. And what it means to become like Jesus is becoming people who have that capacity to receive, be aware of, of God's love for us, but then to love people uh, just like that. And you look at Jesus. He, he lived a life of wholeness. He was fully alive. And as I mentioned and argued, this is an inside out, this within us transformation, the action of the Holy Spirit upon the inner person. And so deep transformation or transformation makes us go below the surface. And, uh, and, and sometimes this is what we call, uh, what I would argue is sometimes we just think this is just the Holy Spirit does us, does this, and we have no control. But just like with anything with God, right, we need to partner with him. We have a part to play in this inner transformation. Right? We actually have a part to play when it comes to allowing the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us into, like, into Jesus. And so what we're going to talk about a little bit, we're going to go a little bit a layer deeper, okay? We're going to bear with me, and we're going to talk about what does it even mean, uh, this inner person, or the, this within us, and, and, and how this works, okay? So I'm going to talk about the, the dimensions of the inner person. Uh, Dallas Willard, and this comes from his book, Renovation of Heart. I'm going to put this on the screen. He basically divided the inner person into five dimensions or five functions. Can you see all that? Well, all right. So at the very core of us, at the very center of us, is, is what, uh, what they call the heart. And it's in the heart is what is interchangeable with the spirit, our heart, our will. This is our capacity to choose. Okay, and then if you, I'm not, I'm not going to go into great details of this because I just don't have time. But at the center of it, and you just see right out of Ezekiel, right? This is what what the Holy Spirit changes in us, right? It's at the heart. He gives us a new heart, and He puts His Spirit within us, right? And and we are changed in the in the inside. And if you go out a little bit, then we have our mind, right? And our mind consists of our thoughts and emotions. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in detail. And then we have our bodies, our physical bodies. This is our little uh, power cells. This is uh, 
what, how the will, it, it, how the will or what we choose, how it uh, engages with, with our world is through our bodies. Then we have a social aspect about us. Um, again, that tie to life with others. And then the soul is this all-encompassing uh, thing that is the deepest part of you that integrates and makes sure all these different aspects uh, are aligned. Uh, I'm going to define it this, like this way. The soul, this is who we are. This is the deepest part of us. You know, um, when God created Adam, it says he breathed in him and he became a living soul. Um, this actually is where we get in, in the Greek word, this is the word psych. Psychology is actually the study of the soul. If you, if you want to get nerd out a little bit. But the soul is that aspect of your whole being that pulls everything together. The life center of human beings. The soul seeks to integrate our will, our capacity to choose, our mind, which is our thoughts and feelings, and our body, which is our little power packs filled with appetites and habits, into a complete person. All right, and so what I'm going to argue here, I'm going to go just a little bit deeper into detail, is in the mind, because this is how God wants to transform us, is, is, is in our capacity of our mind, because this is where we live our life, right, is in our minds, our conscious, our memories, our values, the things that we are doing in life. Like as I'm speaking, my mind is going about a thousand miles an hour, right, and I'm, I'm taking all of this in, and there's emotions, there's all these things that we, this is how we experience life. And the reason I'm going to focus in on this is because Paul would say this is where we experience the renewal because it's when this part of us gets transformed, this will, the heart of God, the, the spirit in us has the freedom to live itself out. Does that follow me? You guys follow me? And that our thoughts and our emotions can either help allow that freedom for the Holy Spirit to be lived out in your life or it can hinder it. It can, it can quench it in that fashion. You guys follow me? All right. So let's think about this with our mind. And this is where it comes down to. In Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed right? That word conform. Do not become, uh, it's like this becoming word, right? Do not be conformed to this age, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. That it's by the transformation of our mind, a renewal of our mind, that we're able to see at the heart of it the will of God. And we can actually uh, live that out. But part of that comes from what? Sacrifice, looking at a, a surrendering our bodies, our whole beings, our minds, our heart to God. This is how, and if we do that, he'll transform our mind. And if you, again, I'm going to break down, uh, the mind is thoughts and its feelings. Those are integrated. Those are, you can't, it's, it's really difficult to separate those two, and I'll explain why in a little bit. So I'm going to start off with our mind. And this is why even, and Paul would write in Colossians, right, to set your mind on the things above, right? It, he would say, don't be anxious in Philippians 4, right? Pray and give thanksgiving, and the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds, He'd go on to say, whatever's true, honorable, just, lovely, commendable, think about these things. So again, Paul's going to argue that the way of inner transformation lies in our minds, our thoughts, and our emotions. 
All right, so let's, let's, start, let's hone in on thoughts, and then we're going to hone in on emotions. So first, thoughts. Studies have shown that we have about 6,200 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thoughts, right? Lots of different things are going over here. Some studies have actually claimed that over 80% of those thoughts are actually negative. They're negative thoughts. We're kind of conformed in this idea of these negative thoughts. But we have thoughts about the way we view God, the way we view ourselves, and the way we view others. You'll hear us say this idea of meaning-making. These thoughts are the stories we tell ourselves. We make meaning all the time, right? And it doesn't matter, let's say an instance, like have you ever texted somebody and they never texted you back, right? You get left on red or something. That's what these young people say, right? Um, You get left on red, right? How many have had like a ton of different meaning-making, right? That you, oh, they're mad at me. What did I do? You know, you just go through this. Do you tell yourself a story, right? Some of that could be reality. Some of that can be reality. Like I just saw, you guys know the popular game Wordle, right? You guys know this thing? This is a game that people play online. And this, this elderly woman uh, like would tell her, wife, or tell her daughter every day her Wordle score. And one day she didn't, she didn't tell her. And the daughter got freaked out. Here that woman got kidnapped. Uh, and someone was kidnapped in her house. And the, the SWAT team was able to come and rescue her, all because she didn't send her Wordle score, you know, uh, which is crazy, right? And so there's some of this could be based in reality, that something is not right. But I'm sure many of us, when we've texted somebody, they didn't text us back, we just fill in a whole lot of meaning making. We tell ourselves a whole other story. Did I do something? Did I do something? Do you guys follow me? And we do this all the time with all different interactions, all of our experiences. There, we can have the same experience and have a variety of different meanings or stories we tell ourselves. And so this is this idea of our thoughts. And again, they, they have, the thoughts can be rooted in reality, which is what truth is. And if, they're, if, if, if thoughts are... Uh, rooted in unreality, which they, they're just, it's not reality, those are lies, right? And this is primarily how Satan wants to, um, he wants to attack us, to rob us of this inner transformation, is to get our minds and our thoughts filled with lies, right? You see that in Adam, you see that, that, that did God really say, you know, did God really say that? Uh, with Jesus, you see Satan saying, are you really God? Like, if you're really God, right? He's trying to instill this, this lie, this idea that's not rooted in reality. Uh, and, and this impacts how we see ourselves. Like I said, it impacts our identity, uh, what we live out of. Uh, I have a story. I think I've shared it before, but I'll share it again. Uh, I had a few years ago, we had a youth student um, uh, who started coming to our youth group. And, you know, we had a, we had a ministry time. And uh, I felt he, he had some migraines that he was experiencing, even in the moment. And I said, all right, let's, let's pray for you. And uh, often, like how we've been taught to pray, is when we pray for somebody, we, just, we are to just wait on the Holy Spirit. Just allow the Holy Spirit to just speak to us. Maybe there's something else going on here than just migraines. Maybe this is not just a biological thing, right? Migraines it it's can be a biological thing, but sometimes, right, there's some things at work. And I remember as I'm praying for this uh, young guy, he's, I think he was in eighth or ninth grade, uh, I just felt like the Holy Spirit just say, hey, he's believing a lie about himself. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird, but okay, I don't know how to how do I say that. Um, and so I just asked, like, hey, man, I just feel, like, compelled to ask, like, what do you think is, like, the truest thing about you? Like, how do you see yourself? And literally the first thing he said was, I'm stupid. Like, 
the very first thing that came out is, I'm stupid. And I'm like, you're stupid? Yeah, like, that's, that's who you are? He's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really stupid. And, like, we had this little argument, like, you think you're stupid? Like, why do you think you're stupid? You know, like, no, he's like, no, like, uh, this, is, this is who I am. Like, Johnny, I, like, it's, I'm, I'm stupid. And I finally got to the point where I was like, I want you to think a moment, like, about this idea of God forming you and knitting you in your mother's womb. And, and God's forming you and shaping you, and, and then he takes a little stupid, and he pours it in there and forms it in you. Do you think that's like, do you think that's how God created you? Like, and, and it just like paused and I said, God wants to rewrite your, your thoughts of who you are and how you see yourself. And we just began to pray into that. We asked him just to renounce that lie, this lie that he's believed that he is stupid and that he wouldn't, that, that, that stronghold wouldn't hold onto his life, that he could live out of a new reality. Uh, and so we prayed for that. We walked through that. And then I said, man, I think God's going to heal you of your migraine. And we prayed, and his migraine went away, you know? And so it was just this cool uh, transformation, right, of the mind. And here's this reality, right? Our thoughts, we become what we give our mind to. You guys understand that? What we give our mind to is, who, is part of who we become. And there's statistics and stuff, I mean, even uh, non-Christian stuff that have looked into this, of like what we give our minds to is, is who we become. And this is, this is uh, even secular research has shown that, even as they looked at young people with either, uh, you know, social media, uh, video games, and I'm not like anti all of this, but how all of these things, what we give our mind to, it actually shapes who we become, your thoughts. You become what you give your mind to. So then on the other side is our emotions, right? This is our emotional capacity is part of our intended design. I'm just going to read some things here because uh, just some point things because I think uh, we've actually, uh, because we've become such an intellectual uh, culture that we've tended to push and suppress and not talk about our emotions. That our emotions, maybe especially even the negative ones that we see as negative, sadness, fear, and anger, are not just as less spiritual, but they are opposed of the spirit. That we think uh, if we are experiencing those, those go against uh, the spirit in us. And so we tend to just try to suppress them. We try to shut them out. We deny maybe our anger. We ignore our pain. We skip over our depression, our sadness. We run from loneliness. We avoid doubts uh, and all these things. But the reality is emotions aren't your enemies right? They aren't, aren't enemies to be destroyed, but are instead are part of your intended design. You see this in Jesus. You see this in God, that it regularly talks about God's emotions or Jesus's emotions. Jesus experienced deep sadness. If you remember when his, uh, when his buddy died, it says Jesus wept. He grieved. He experienced deep sadness. Jesus exper- experienced anger, right? and even some fear when he was uh, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was to be crucified. Jesus experienced those things, and, and he allowed people to, to see that. He led his disciples to see that. I like this, this, just to rephrase what an emotion is. It's something you, re, re, you feel in response to a stimulus in which your brain, again, made a meaning. And uh, so feelings are crucial, they're crucial to us as humans and crucial to our survival. Like, right, when you see a bear, right, you have an emotion. Like, and, and part of that emotion, right, is, is like, this thing can eat me. 
right? And so in that moment, your emotions will override all of your thinking, so that way you can, you can survive. But if you know anything about bears, right, like the worst thing you can do is what? Run, Run right? So like that's why people actually try to train you that when you encounter a bear, right, it's not to do what you want to do. You have to like rethink your mind that in an instance when you are a bear, instead of running, which is what everything inside of you wants to do, just, I think I can outrun this bear. I think I'm faster than this bear, you know? The reality is you're not going to probably outrun a bear. But what they try to encourage you is in the moment to think differently so that way you can do this. And one of the things they say, what, is to make yourself look big, right? To, like nothing in me wants to do that when I'm encountering a bear, you know, and so like if you're with people, you get together and you get big, right? It's, it's, so you see like this idea of our thoughts and our emotions. Part of our emotions is, is it helps when we experience these, not to suppress them, but go, oh, there's a story I'm telling myself. When you experience an emotion, you're telling yourself a story. You guys follow me? And so that, when you experience those emotions and you're telling yourself a story, then you got to need to think through this and say, is this reality or is this unreality? Is this truth? Is this lie? All right? And I'm going to put this screen up, this next thing on here, because then it starts with our thinking, it starts with our emotions, and then it automatically usually goes to our actions. And so sometimes, right, our emotions can take over, and then we, if, we, if we skip the thought process, right, we, we just we do out of our anger. Okay? I'm going to share real briefly uh, just how this has impacted me and the process of this and uh, just part of the work of Emotionally Focused. I'm going to talk a little bit about this. So I began noticing in my life that there's some actions that I did when I was in like even in a stressful environment or where there's potential, uh, potential to be rejected or to think less of. Like my action would be that I would actually try to hide parts of myself. I would try to manage the conversation. I would try to make myself look better than maybe I actually really was. Or I would, I would try to hide certain things about me. And, and I, as I began, like this is something I, I, it was kind of this fear of man, of, of, of putting my value in maybe what other people think and trying to control situations, trying to control people's perception of me. And every time I had these instances, what I realized is I'm experiencing fear. I'm experiencing anxiety. And, and when I began to do this work, I began realizing the thought, the meaning I was making is that this person would be able to reject me or think less of me. The meaning I was making is there's something wrong with me, and if actually people learned it and discovered it, they would reject me and think uh, that, and part of that's just shame, right? That there's something intrinsically wrong with me, and people, if people discovered it, they would reject me. Part of this process I, I, that we go through emotionally focused is, okay, begin understanding how this was formed in you. Like, because that wasn't how you were created. I wasn't created to try to manage people's perceptions of me, right? And part of this process, I came to a, a memory um, back 